This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. This morning's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is God's word. Amen. Please be seated. As I mentioned earlier this morning, we will be completing our topical sermon series called Calibrate. We started the series saying that the only true motivation for change in a Christian's life is not to desire change in order to be loved or to earn value, but rather the true motivation for a Christian in order to change and to grow comes from a place of already being loved. You see, it is the fact that in Jesus Christ, we are adopted as God's children, and that gives us the freedom to change. It gives us the power to change. As we continued on, we hit on key themes that are true about this flicker of hope in us, our longing to change, our longing to grow. We said in week two, From the perspective of adoption, this church, we as God's people, belong one to another as the family of God to our Father. And so not only are we loved, but we also belong. And that answers a very deep desire in us, a desire to belong. And so you see, not only do we change from a place of already being loved, but we also change from a place of already belonging. You see, we don't have to change in order to find a place to belong. We don't have to change in order to earn a status that would make us valuable or worthy. This week, we're talking about the fact that many of us, me included, oftentimes wake up, let's say on Monday morning, tomorrow morning, and we have this sense that we're really on the sidelines of life. In other words, I'm not sure we have the expectation to be used by God in his mission that Jesus would have us have. To say it another way, I think that although we are all called to be participants in God's mission, oftentimes we view ourselves as spectators. We see other people and we think, well, they're clearly on God's mission. But right now, at least in this stage of life, I can't be. Or in this job, until I can get out of here, I I can't be fully on God's mission like other people. I've shared this before, but when I was 15 years old, um, in my hometown, it was normal to have a scooter. And I don't mean one you propel with your feet like this. I mean one like a low 50cc engine, one that if you were 15 years old, you could drive. And it was a big deal. It really was. 
And, the, and my parents loved it because I wasn't quite 16, but they no longer had to drive me around to school and to sports and all of that. But not everyone had a scooter. And so one of the rules my parents had was no one else can drive this. No one. And I was pretty good at that until one day my friend Andy was at my house and my parents weren't home and Andy wore me down and I let him ride my scooter. So he put on my helmet and I'll spare you all the details. And in fact, I'm not exactly sure how this happened, but he was facing the garage door, which was closed. He had plenty of driveway to turn and he just takes off without ever hitting the brakes, smashes into the bottom left side of the garage door. And the bottom left side of the garage door gets crumpled up and in And I'm standing there, frozen in shock. And Andy stands up, looks at me, and all I can see through the helmet are his eyes, and they're really big, and he just takes off running. (laughs) Keeps the helmet on, takes off running to his house. So I'm standing there looking at the garage door, and my dad pulls in the driveway. And he does exactly what I would have done. He gets out, yelling, what happened? And um, I tried to explain what happened, and the only thing he heard was, you let someone else drive the scooter and they crashed it into my garage door. And that was pretty much the story. So I uh, stand there asking, wondering, what can I do? And he tells me exactly what I would have said, get in the house while I fix this. Our house was a bi-level, which means that I could stand in our kitchen and look out the door and look down into the garage, which was attached to our house. And I watched my dad get out tools and I watched, he didn't use tools all, he also used his foot a few times to kick, to kick it. Um, and he used these tools and he bent it back into place and I'm watching him. And to this day, there's a huge crease in the door, but it does work, same door. But I remember the feeling as I looked out through the window, watching my dad do this, something that I was responsible for. And I felt helpless. I felt like there's nothing I could do and I had to watch him fix it. I felt like I was only a spectator watching through the glass, but having no opportunity to be an agent of redeeming the garage door. And I'm confident that you and me often feel like I did that day where we look through the window of our life and say, I'm merely a spectator. I've messed so many things up but I better stay out of the way while God does the work. I don't wanna mess anything else up. But in fact, the Bible is clear that you and I are to be God's agents of taking God's redemptive blessing to all places where sin reigns. All things that are broken need redemption and God cares about those things. And you and I, as his image bearers, as his Disciples are called to go out and be agents of his mission. Today in Matthew 13 through 15, maybe we see one of the most vivid images that Jesus shares with us about this very fact, that all of us are agents in God's redemptive mission. We see in verse 13, we are the salt of the earth, and we see in verse 14, we are the light of of the world. Now, I don't want us to miss the fact that this is absolutely huge. I mean, the images themselves are pretty common. We'll talk about that in a minute. I mean, no matter how poor any household was, it used, it needed light and it needed salt. But we'll get to that. But 
I want us to see this. Jesus, speaking to a handful of Palestinian peasants, says, you are the salt, not of your, merely your family or of your friends, but you are the salt of the entire earth. You are the light of the entire world. So somehow Jesus has the audacity to not only empower these people as his disciples to do a little bit, but to actually impact as part of his mission, the entire earth, the entire world. And yet just like Jesus, he uses very common imagery. What is salt? What is salt? Well, a main function of salt was to preserve decay. So think of meat, think of fish, anything that could decay and salt was used and still is used in many parts of the world without refrigeration, especially as a preservative. It would actually enter in and stop decay. And I've read in different places that this is virtually, if done properly, an indefinite stopping of decay. It lasts for a really long time, this preserving function. So in a sense, it is a restraint against decay. Now, when we think about all the restraints against decay in society or in the world, because remember, Jesus is telling them, you are the light of the world. So that's his end game, right? You are the salt of the earth. So if we think about the natural inertia of society, the inertia of the world around us is in fact towards decay. Do we not see that? It seems pretty clear the inertia of sin is disintegration. It's not wholeness, it's not shalom. That's the job of redemption. But the inertia of evil, the inertia of sin is decay, dysfunction. And so the job of salt or us in this case is to preserve the world against decay. So there are many, well, I can think of two, Common grace realities that God has given us in order to also preserve decay in society. I'm not gonna talk about them, but I'll name them. One is the family. It's an institution given to us by God in order to preserve decay and to promote unity and to promote health in society. And so is the idea of government. Both of these realities are given by God in his common grace to all people in order to preserve decay. But maybe the most powerful of all restraints God uses within a sinful world is us. His own redeemed, regenerate, and righteous people. We are to be salt in the world around us, wherever he would call us. So salt and light have one thing in common, John Stott says. He says they give and expend themselves and thus are the opposite of any and every kind of self-centered religiosity. Here's what he's getting at. To be salt and light is to utterly give yourself. To be salt and light is not for you. It is for those around you. It is a ministry. It is a giving of yourself. It is using your gifts. It is using what you have in order to serve those around you. So Jesus calls his disciples to exert a double influence on the society and the communities around them. So first, a negative influence salt, to arrest decay around you. A positive influence, bringing light 
into darkness. And another quote by John Stott, who is so helpful to me on many things, especially on the Sermon on the Mount, which is where this passage comes from. He says this, it is one thing to stop the spread of evil. It is another to promote the spread of truth, beauty, and goodness. So you see, salt is to stop the spread of evil. Light is to promote the spread of truth, beauty, and goodness in the world. God intends us as his people to penetrate and engage the world. You and me, tomorrow morning, God is calling us to engage the world around us as salt and light. Now, believe it or not, that was my introduction. But it's pretty simple. We're gonna go pretty quickly. I have two points. What I wanted to do was I wanted us to get the context, get the idea Jesus is trying to communicate to us when he says salt and light. So what I want this sermon, the rest of it to be about is, I keep saying you and me tomorrow morning when we wake up. Well, how? I think in two ways. One, to be salt and light is to engage, to have constructive engagement and to have courageous confrontation. All right, so first, constructive engagement. Why would we have constructive engagement in the world around us? Simply put, because God created everything. God created everything. He loves everything. He values everything. And he wants to redeem everything. You and I are made in the image of God. And one of the most profound ways we image God is in our work. Now, it doesn't just mean your occupation. It just means in your work. So tomorrow morning, whatever sector of the public sphere or the marketplace you enter into, uh, maybe it's momdom, all right? And so tomorrow you're gonna wake up and you are going to care for your family that God has given you and that's your calling right now. That's your work. That is one of the primary ways that you will image God this week. For some of us, uh, it's in vocational ministry. By the way, just because I'm in vocational ministry doesn't mean I don't have to think about this. It doesn't mean that I don't have to conscientiously reflect on how I am going to constructively engage the work of my hands in a gospel-centered way, bringing salt and light. There are lots of horrible ways to do vocational ministry. If you're in the marketplace, maybe business, I understand there's lots of segments or sectors of business, so it doesn't matter if you're in retail or finance or business development. It doesn't matter if you're in healthcare, it's the service industry, wherever you are, God is calling you tomorrow to be salt and light. The Bible teaches us there are various ways in which we as believers are to engage consistently in God's world for God's mission. Now, there is an ambiguity here, and we're gonna talk about that. And what I mean by ambiguity is you can say, I believe that, and the question is still in your mind, what does that mean? I mean, like, how do I do that? What do I do? Well, uh, a writer, uh, Christopher Wright, uh, he's an Old Testament biblical theologian. He wrote a book called The Mission of God and... Um, one of the most helpful books that I've read on this topic, I would recommend it. I have taken some of what he has said and made it my own using Daniel as an example. All right, the Old Testament, you know who Daniel is, right? 
Daniel was a young man with some of his friends who were taken by the Babylonians in a first deportation, all right? So the Babylonians were building their empire and they, they're in the north. They come down south into Israel and Judah and there were three separate deportations where they took God's people and they took them back to Babylon as they are building their empire. And in the first deportation, they did what all empires did then, which is you go into a new nation and you find the, the brightest, the sharpest, the youngest, the most helpful people in that nation. You take them back with you and you brainwash them. All right, you take them back and you use them for your own good. Well, Daniel and his friends were taken in that first deportation and they were given Babylonian names. They were trained in the schools of the Babylonians and then they were found to be so helpful they were given high-powered government jobs. That's Daniel, all right? But still, we can learn a lot from Daniel. We too are in exile. We too live in exile. Read 1 Peter as an example. We are sojourners, the Bible says. Uh, we are living out our faith every day, being used by God as salt and light as his kingdom advances. I want us to see three things that we can learn from Daniel when we talk about constructive engagement in a world around us that is not the kingdom of God. All right? So first, Daniel accepted the realities of the public sphere, right? He accepted a massive amount of cultural adjustment. I've already said he went to their schools. He took a Babylonian name. He worked in government. The second thing is he worked constructively and conscientiously for the government, but for social benefit, all right? Babylonian, or Babylonian uh, the, the place, the communities in this land were better because Daniel worked a government job. Think about that. He was so faithful he was so helpful that many people were jealous of him. We read this in Daniel 6. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, and they mean the kingdom of Babylon. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. Faithful to who? Well, obviously to his God, but faithful to the nation. Faithful to his job. He was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So Daniel is working, Daniel is serving, but there is a line. The third thing we see from Daniel is he preserved his integrity. You see, his loyalty to his covenant God and uh, had a line to it. In other words, he could only go so far. And we see this in when he refused to cede or to give over total loyalty to the nation of Babylon. And it happened most famously when he refused to eat the food at the king's table. He said, that I won't do. That I won't do. You see, we are commanded to seek the welfare of the city. Jeremiah 29, verse seven, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now I'm not cherry picking. Jeremiah 
was a prophet during the Babylonian deportations. He was talking to these people when they were being exiled into Babylon. And they're thinking, well, I don't even know if we can pray. The temple's not there. I mean, is God with us? What do we do going into exile? And Jeremiah says on behalf of God, I tell you what you do. You seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And you pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now, as the people of God, as we enter into all the places God has called us, if we are really to be salt and light, it ought to inform and shape and change everything about us. One of the things that's just a given in our culture for many, many people is that I'm going to go to college, right? I'm going to get an education. But why? Why? Is it a passport to more privilege? Is it about you? Or is it about the opportunity to be trained and equipped in such a way where you can constructively engage communities around you, organizations that you're a part of, cities, nations, structures? You see, do you have, are you using your education? Are you using your skills and experience in such a way where you are being salt and light, where you are giving yourself away? Or is it about consuming? Is it about taking? Because we can't constructively engage if our life is about us. If every job is about us rather than how we can be a blessing using who we are and what we've been given for the flourishing of that place. This matters for a promotion. Do you long and want a promotion, A, because there's more money? or more power or authority? Or do we want to seek a promotion because we understand our scope of care will be expanded? Whether, whether you're being promoted to manage more people and they're flourishing and the, and the multiple bottom lines of, of the company that you work for, or your promotion gives you more scope of care to take care of more customers than you have before. Whatever it is, Do we understand a promotion as an opportunity to expand our love and our salt and our lightness for the flourishing of those around us and those who have been given to us under this increased scope of care? Those are just two examples. But the bottom line is that when we think about our constructive engagement in the world, what is revealed to us are the biggest gods of the public square. And that doesn't matter where you are. Again, you can be a momdom, you can be in business, you can be in healthcare, you can be anywhere. There are cultural gods that we are all tempted to worship. And that leads me to our second point today. Not only as salt and light are we called to constructively engage everything around us, but we are also called to a courageous confrontation. Why? Well, it's because the world is in rebellion against God. That's why. Every, everything around us, in a sense, is in rebellion against God. Now, I said this. I said one of the primary ways that we constructively engage things around us is through our work, through the work of our hands. Work is a creational good. And the Bible is aware of the temptation, though, to turn work into an idol, Because when we live for what we do and what we achieve, we lose our saltiness. We hide our light because it's now become about us. 
But what I want to invite us to do for the rest of our time together this morning is I want to invite us to step back and to see our work as a gift and a service to God. And it gives us a perspective that allows us to do this. It allows us to get a better understanding of the difficult issues in our unique jobs and in our specific lives. We must be able to name and discern the gods of our sector and confront them prayerfully in community and with our eyes wide open. So teachers, all of you who are in education, I don't know what it looks like, but let me invite you, ask, I'm gonna ask you this question. What does it look like to be a Christian educator? What does it look like to walk into your classroom, to walk into your faculty meetings, to walk into your school system and be salt and light? What does it look like to courageously confront brokenness where people, children, adults, parents are being dehumanized? What does that look like? I'm not sure, but I'm inviting you to think about it because I think when I said courageous confrontation, Many of us may have thought about specific examples where you're called to step in in between something bad that's happening to someone else right there in the moment. And I think that's part of it. But I think a lot of courageous confrontation is proactive, not reactive. It's thinking strategically about how the evil one is perverting your sector of public life that you've been called into. What about if you're in business? How in your specific sector of the marketplace can you be strategic, salt, and light? What about your specific organization? How can you live and act and serve in such a way where you promote trust and unity rather than a whole lot of water water cooler talk against other people? How can you step in and courageously confront the brokenness of relationships and integrity and honesty in your businesses and in your organizations? What if you're in social work or healthcare or even law enforcement? How can you walk in to your place of work and how can you be salt and light? How can you step in and speak proactively love and compassion and justice into the darkness? of your everyday life, wherever God would call you. And in order to do this, we have to know what the idols are of our specific sector. How are we gonna do that? Well, I think we're gonna do it in community. I think we're gonna do it in our community groups. We're gonna pray together. We're gonna ask God to reveal these things to us so that we can step in to our everyday callings with courage with commitment, that we are salt and light. We're not looking through a window saying, well, they're doing real mission over here. I just gotta kind of get through this so I can give money to the church or so I can get through this so I can lead my community group and that's where the real mission happens. It's just not, that's not true. God is calling all of us in everyday life as far as the curse is found, that's as far as redemption must go. And he's calling us as salt to step in and preserve and light to speak truth. I read this and I wanna leave this with you. Read this a couple weeks ago uh, from an author. He says, there's a baseline and a blue sky in every vocation. 
So the baseline is true for every Christian. This is the character that all of us must have, right? So honesty, compassion, integrity, it doesn't matter where we're called and what sector of public sphere we are being called to. We all need this baseline of Christian character. We must grow in Christ-likeness. But for all of us, there's also a blue sky. And this is an opportunity for you and I uniquely to pray and dream about how we can bring the light of the gospel into our sector of the marketplace, into our company, into our communities, into our households. Was it unique about me and my gifts and my calling? What's unique about this place that I've been called to? And what he says is we discover these gaps where salt and light can go, and he calls them salt and light hotspots. Where can you this week, tomorrow morning, step in to a salt and light hotspot? Now, how is this distinctively Christian, though? I mean, isn't this just like, doesn't every religion do this? Like, doesn't, doesn't every religion uh, want people to be good and do good and promote justice? What is distinctively Christian about this? Well, it's vital that we see the cross of Jesus Christ as central and integral to every aspect of everyday mission. And I think it's, it's easier for us to see how the cross is central to evangelism because that is part of your calling as salt and light. When you share the hope of Jesus, then of course we go back to the cross. But what about everything else? You see, all forms of Christian mission in the name of Christ are confronting the powers of evil and sin and the kingdom of Satan and their effects on human life and creation. You see, if you're gonna be salt and light anywhere, what you're doing is combating sin. And Colossians 1 says that Jesus in coming, that it is the blood of the cross that reconciles all things to God. All things are reconciled by the blood of the cross, not just people by the blood of the cross and then everything else by something else, but all things that God would redeem are redeemed by the blood of the cross. See, the cross is central to everything we do. The redemptive work of God through the cross of Christ is good news for every area of life on earth that has been touched by sin. And that's everything. Every dimension of that good news is good news utterly and only because of the blood of Jesus on the cross. And so this is where I'll end. Okay, so what does that mean practically? So you're saying we've been called to constructively engage and then courageously confront, and this has to be by the power of the cross, so it's uniquely Christian. Okay, great. How does this hit me tomorrow? What does it mean practically on the ground? This is what it means. You are not the source of salt and light in the world. You are the conduit. Our effectiveness and mission does not rely ultimately on us. I was thinking about this 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 week, and I was thinking about minerals that human beings are all biological life have to have in order to flourish and live, right? Minerals. When we eat food, we get minerals. Just take calcium, for example. Calcium is a mineral we all have to have. And we eat certain foods, we get calcium. 
But the, cal- the, the food itself did not make the calcium. Calcium minerals come from the ground. You see, in that sense, the mineral came from the source and the food was the conduit. You see, you and I are like that. When we engage in the world around us, we are not the source. We are the conduits. We too need that calcium to live. Or in this case, we too need life in order to live abundantly. We are not the source. We have to go get it in order to be a conduit of it. And so for us to be salt and light in the world, we must sink our roots deeper and deeper into the grace and love of God. To rest upon the work of Jesus and to shine our lights into others, we must first have the finished work of Jesus shining its light and mercy into our hearts. So if we're confused as to our effectiveness and mission, we don't try harder. We go back to the source. We go back to the source and we receive life. You see, first, the effects of sin and decay must be halted in our own hearts before we can hope to have an effect to be used to halt sin and decay anywhere else. Before we can hope to shine light of hope and peace somewhere else, we first must have continually that light of hope into our hearts. And so, by God's mercy, he uses us. So tomorrow morning, you and I are not bystanders. We are agents of God's mission in the world because as God has shown his light into our hearts, it shines through us to those around us. Let's pray. Father, we come to you thankful that we are not the source of life. We're not the source of our saltiness. We're not the source of light. We are conduits of saltiness, conduits of light. Because you have shown your light into our hearts and you have stopped and reversed the decay that sin was bringing about in our hearts, you will use us and you've called us to you and then you send us out. I pray for myself and for all who are here that we would feel overwhelmed with thankfulness that we are not bystanders in your mission. We are all engaged in real mission. I ask as you send us out in a few moments, you would send us out filled with life that comes from you. I pray that you would send us out with ideas of how we can engage our neighbors, those in our workplace, our children, our community groups. I pray wherever we would go, we would wake up expectantly, wake up believing today your mercies are new and you want to use us even today. In Jesus' name, amen.